0: Hmm. Is ichor worth as much as blood? Can you write off a cursed goblet? Does an eight like a dog count as a child if you feed it breast milk? Hmm. That's right. It's tax season once again. But this spring, every donation to the Wrong Station Patreon qualifies you for a $7,000 tax credit, redeemable once Wrong Station takes over your country's government. Which is soon. Click the link in the description below to discover behind-the-scenes content, bonus episodes, art, book clubs, and more Wrong Station goodies. And remember to file. A wonder-working power in the precious Incredible, as they seem, are not the results of mass hysteria. <laughs> you may wish to adjust the dial. You are currently tuned into the wrong station. She first heard the story of the October Devil when she was ten years old. It was the week before Halloween, the anniversary of her uncle's death in the accident, and a grey wind chuckled in the dry husks of the Faustburg corn maze. Joanna was walking hand-in-hand hand with her grandmother, whose name was also Joanna Carter, and whose nicotine-yellowed hands were as dry and mottled as the corn leaves. "'Once,' said the old woman there was a widow named Molly Cranikin, who lived out by the edge of Scratch Valley. She was a woman of the night. The girl didn't know what that meant, but her grandmother had said it with a rattling chuckle that made her uneasy. She tried to laugh along, but she was cold and ready to go home and couldn't manage much more than a show of her chattering teeth. The story continued. Now, when Molly was old enough that her... Services were no longer in high demand. The witch hunts came to Faustburg. What's a witch hunt? said Joanna. Her grandmother laughed and leaned close. It's when they gather up good little girls and tell them they've been bad and throw them in a sack in the river. Joanna went gray. But that's not fair, she whispered. Her grandmother grinned at her, mouth very wide, long yellow-gray teeth clicking as they met get used to it she said it's an unfair world you're going to have to learn that if you want to run the company someday this made joanna want to cry but she hid her tears her grandmother didn't like it when she made a fuss will that happen to me joanna said it might some day," said the old woman if you don't toughen up come on her cold grip led joanna deeper into the corn maze and a cold voice led Joanna deeper into the story. Fifteen women were accused of dealing with Satan. Along with two others, Molly was brought before the magistrate, our ancestor Jerediah Carter. She was tried, convicted, and put to death. A little shiver passed through the old woman's body, but not one of cold. Alone of the three, she said, Molly didn't weep at the gallows. Instead, she burst out laughing as they forced the rope around her neck. Why? said Joanna. She did not want to know, but she wanted the story to be over. Because, said her grandmother, she told them she'd been innocent up to that point, but that as of that moment, her soul belonged to the devil in exchange for this punishment upon the town, that three times every hundred years A man would have to die by sacrifice, or the town would be destroyed, and the villagers laughed when they heard her say this, but when they hanged her, her head came clean away and her body rotted right before their eyes. With a spotted hand, the old woman pried apart the walls of the corn maze and led her granddaughter out to the stony brink of the Scratch Valley Gulch. Dead grey sumacs rattled in a dead grey breeze. On the slope below them, low flames smoldered through a pit of scorched rocks and ashen dirt, a gas crater, a natural gas seep that had been burning in the hillside for some four hundred years. A year later, said the elder Joanna, this is where it appeared, the October Devil, and it appeared again the next night, and the night after that, and the night after that. And all that time the crops turned black and the milk spoiled inside the cows, and the whole town fell to ruin, until the townsfolk chose someone for it to drag back to its master in hell. The old woman's wrinkled cheeks split wider, the breath of her smile was like soiled cigarettes in rotten lung. A little boy, she said, just about your age. Joanna tore away from her grandmother's grip, tore away and ran back into the corn maze, with the old woman's laughter following her through the grey gold stalks. It wasn't until hours later, freezing, damp and afraid, that they found her there. It was ten years before she returned to Scratch Valley. That night, it was the first of October, with the first black wind shivering down wooded slope to keen against the colonial revival windows of the Carter Estate. It was the night of Jackson Carter's tenth birthday, and Joanna sat with her back to the black windows, feeling the chill of the glass on the back of her neck, the stifling heat of the fireplace on her cheek. Her little brother sat on the floor, leaning against the base of her window seat so she could run fingers through his fine brown hair. He was opening her present. When the wrapping was torn away, he stared. He measured its weight with his hands, and when he realized what was inside... His fingers tightened. "'Thank you, Joanna,' he whispered. The gift was a bright box. It claimed to contain the latest electronic bauble, yet it weighed more than it should have. Inside that box, a book was hidden. Green grass grew on its cover. It was their book. It spoke a secret kept between them, a secret that she kept for him. "'Jackson?' Their father's voice rang from the next room and the boy quickly stuffed the parcel back into its paper. Chuck Carter entered, carrying two glasses of scotch in an envelope. He took after his mother, the elder Joanna. He had silver hair and eyes the color of October water. Are you ready for your gift, son? Joanna felt her brother tense as he nodded. She gave his shoulder a little squeeze. Then drink this. Chuck shoved the glass of whiskey into his son's hand, and Jackson flinched at the acetone smell. He's too young, said Joanna. Those black, cold eyes flicked up to her. Of course he's not, her father said. He's a Carter man. His forefathers have run this town for 400 years. I lost my brother when I was his age. He can handle a small drink. You'll make him sick, said Joanna, returning the stare. She took after her father. She knew how to make her eyes as black and cold as his. The moment stretched out, a dangerous silence broken only by Jackson's stifled cough as he forced himself to swallow some of the strong drink. And then Joanna's father smiled, his long, yellow-gray smoker's teeth coming together with a click. Well, he'll have to toughen up, he said, if he wants to run the company someday. Joanna felt the blood leave her face. The muscles tightened in her jaw, and she shoved herself to her feet, clipping her brother's head with a knee as she rose. "'You changed the will,' she said, staring up into her father's face. "'Now that Jackson's coming of age,' he said, brandishing the envelope, "'it only seemed right. "'I'm the firstborn,' Joanna said, "'left unspoken were the words, and I'm the one that takes after you.'" Carter's lipless mouth twisted to one side. You're a girl, Joe, he said. The company is a place for a Carter man. She shoved past him and stood for a moment in the front hall, shaking with anger and digging long nails into the palm of her hand. Come back, Joe, he called. Don't make a fuss, you're acting like your mother. She flung open the front door and walked out of the house without putting on a coat. The night outside was black as autumn frost and she left the door hanging open behind her letting in the dark wind, letting out her father's laughter. She ripped open the black door of her Escalade and slammed it shut behind her, gripping the steering wheel with white, sharp fingers. The vehicle roared to life, and its wheels slashed gravel as she peeled out into the darkness. She drove without a destination, winding down the empty forest roads above Faustburg, out her headlights, unable to hear anything but her crashing heart. She slammed the brakes on a hill overlooking the town, threw the escalade into park and flung herself out onto the stony edge of the hill, fumbling for cigarettes in her shirt pocket. It was freezing, but her anger kept her warm. She inhaled the cigarette and flicked the butt over the precipice, fire warnings be damned. She lit another and sat with her legs hanging over the edge. The rage that filled her chest was burning down to something hard and bitter cold. It no longer kept her warm, but she found that she didn't mind the frost. Hmm. Is Icker worth as much as blood? Can you write off a cursed goblet? Does an ate like a dog count as a child if you feed it breast milk? Hmm. That's right. It's tax season once again. But this spring, every donation to the Wrong Station Patreon qualifies you for a $7,000 tax credit, redeemable once Wrong Station takes over your country's government. Which is soon. Click the link in the description below to discover behind the scenes content, bonus episodes, art, book clubs, and more Wrong Station goodies. And remember to file. The wind picked up, dead gray sumacs rattled in the dead gray breeze. Below her, and between the next two hills, Faustberg sprawled across the drained marsh valleys, silver with the blood of the moon. From here it looked like the town was alight. Red-gold trees flickered like fire down the streets, lit up with the glow of sodium lamps, and above the town plumes of steam wafted from the towers of Carter Petrochemical. She realized she was staring down the barrel of Scratch Valley, She was on a promontory above the corn maze. A short but fatal tumble underneath her feet, the night was splintered by the gold glow of the gas crater. She stood, brushing dirt and cigarette ash from her jeans, and turned to go. The wind died down. The flames behind her sank and reddened. A low moan filled the October night. She froze. The sound produced... Contradictory feelings within her, sickening, arousing. The moan lifted again, and she turned again, her face lit red to face its source. Below her something crouched in the midst of the fire, though in the low crimson smolder she could not make out more than a humped, dark shape. Then the wind lifted again, and fresh oxygen made the flames leap with scarlet gold. And in the glowing pitch, she saw something like a mix between a goat, a cockroach, and a man, all lacquered in waxy black brown chitin, with curling ribbed horns and long, twitching antennae. Hard defined musculature sprouted from a flat, segmented abdomen that came to an end in the genital forceps of an earwig. Joanna froze at the sight, and it began to creep toward her through the flames. White, sightless eyes turned up, and moaning in a male voice as it groomed parts with strong fingers and dripped milky drool from a carmine tongue to slather its chin. She shrieked and fell back, and then the wind died away, and the thing was gone. Joanna Carter stood alone on the promontory, wrapped in a black October night. The next day, as she stared out the window of her grandmother's room, She noticed a blight in the trees. She was watching Jackson. He was sitting in a hidden spot among the willows below, swaddled in a white sweater with a certain book in his hands, grass blowing green on its cover. In and among the yellows and golds that wrapped him round, many of the leaves had begun to turn black. A cold wind was hissing from the blue October sky, and it carried a bird into the window with a sharp thud. Joanna flinched and turned away. She did not see it spiral to the ground with a broken neck. Facing into the room, she saw that the sound had awakened her grandmother, who now looked at her through slitted eyes. Clustered around the old woman's bed were a pandemonium of sibilant, chittering machines. Tubes and wires connected them with the dry veins and scarred organs beneath her crackling, papery skin. But for all that she had become a victim of palliative care... Her gray-yellow teeth still came together with a click. Joanna, she said, to what do I owe the pleasure? A mottled corn husk hand gestured the young woman to a chair beside the bedside table, where two grayscale photographs stared out from a silver frame. Chuck and Chase Carter, her father as a boy, her uncle at the oldest he would ever be. Reluctantly, Joanna lowered herself to a perch on the edge of the seat. Did you know, she said, about the will, that your father changed it, said the old woman, and cut you out in favor of your brother? So you did, Joanna said. The old woman laughed, The sound wheezing through the tube in her throat. No, she said, but it's no surprise. Carter men have never let Carter women have anything easy. You did all right, Joanna said. You ran the company for years. Again, those gray-yellow teeth clicked into a smile. Well, said the elder Joanna, anything can happen. It's bullshit, said Joanna. It's archaic, it's completely unfair. It's an unfair world, her grandmother said. Didn't I always tell you that? You'll have to learn it if you want to run the company someday. Are you going deaf, said Joanna. I just told you, I'll never run the company." I heard you quite clearly," said the old woman. Did you hear me? Anything can happen. Her eyes, as she smiled, were unclouded by age, as black and cold as an October tarn. I can't see out the window from here, the old woman said, after a moment's chill silence. Are the leaves beautiful this October? No, Joanna said. There's some blight. They're turning black. Ah, said Joanna, leaning back into white linens. The October devil has come again. That's a child's story, said Joanna. Do you think so? Joanna said. She glanced over at the bedside table, at the silver frame, the long-lost boys ensconced therein. Tell that to your uncle. Wind rushed against the windows. Nothing moved within the room. "'You're going to have to toughen up,' Joanna said. When night came again, spreading like ink through the gold and drying leaves of Faustburg, it found Joanna sitting once more behind the black wheel of the Escalade, gripping it with white, sharp fingers. Down the barrel of Scratch Valley, the town no longer looked like it was aflame. A veil of smoke had wrapped it like a distant gauze, a fire at the petrochemicals plant. Even from here you could smell the bitter burning plastic. And where the distant streetlights still shone through, they wavered beneath not golden leaves, but clouds of black foliage. The blight had spread fast. She closed her eyes. The radio was on. A four-point drop for Carter Industries today after news of a major fire at the Faustburg plant. She flicked it off. A small sound drew her attention to the rear-view mirrors. Jackson shifted in the back seat under his blanket, groaning as he woke. "'What time is it?' he mumbled. "'Just after eight,' she said. "'You had a good nap.' "'Hm,' mm, he said. "'I don't remember going to sleep. "'Where are we?' "'Just at a lookout over the town. "'We were going to see if we could spot how bad the damage from the fire was, remember?' "'He shifted again, rubbing sleep from his eyes. "'No,' he said.' I feel really sleepy, Joanna. Am I sick? She unlocked the doors. Come on, she said. The night air will do you good. She climbed out of the driver's seat and caught him as he stumbled out of the back. Her jacket made a crinkling noise as he fell against her. There was a ziplock bag balled up in her pocket, with traces of white residue in its corners. She was surprised how light he was. He felt like a bird. Even with his pulse so slowed, she could feel the heart beating behind his ribs. Up we get, she said. Let's take a look at the view. She half carried him to the stony brink of Scratch Valley Gulch. Dead black sumacs rattled in a dead black breeze. The town lay spread before them, like a smashed pumpkin rotting on the sidewalk. It's our town, you know, she said. Faustberg. "'It belongs to the Carters. It has for four hundred years.' Hmm. he said. His head was rolling, and she put an arm around his shoulders to support it. In the stiff, cold wind, the tear streaks on her cheek were freezing. "'We can't let the town die,' she said, "'because Carter Industries is the town, and the town is Carter Industries.' "'Town?' he said. I, Jackson, she said. It has to be a boy. You understand that, right? And it has to be a Carter. A Carter signed the warrant for Molly Krennican's death. It's a Carter family curse. It's our town, Jackson. It's our responsibility. Just ask Grandma." She closed her eyes. A photo in a silver frame. A boy who didn't take after his mother, a boy who looked like Jackson. She opened them again. Just ask the second son she gave. For the first time in that moment, Jackson's eyes focused. Gave? he said, his voice still sounded thick. Gave to what? And then the wind sprang up. A golden glow lifted from the embers of the Scratch Valley crater. Something shifted in the flames. Something dark with spreading horns, with a deep voice that panted over rattling, segmented plate. Was it her imagination? Was it larger than it had been the night before? Were there other eyes that watched her from the flames, in judgment? She looked down at her brother in that vile light. He was shivering from the cold, or fear. She reached and ran a hand through his light soft hair, parting it to the side. Joanna? He said. The drugs were still slowing him. He didn't understand what was going on. She couldn't do it. She couldn't go through with this. He was her brother. She loved him. He was sweet. He was gentle. God, how she loved him. Joanna. The voice was her own. It sounded cold as an October tarn, and dry as mottled corn husk leaves. You're going to have to toughen up. She looked away from her brother, looked out at the town that was hers for the taking. If only she would take it. Her brother whispered her name again. I'm sorry, she said. He was so light, he was like a bird. But he did not fly. The flames went up. There was a sound that Joanna would remember for the rest of her life, and then the glow died away, and there was silence except for the keening autumn winds. For a long time she stared down into the fire. There was nothing there. No sign of any devil, no sign of any little boy. The crater had burned four hundred years. Perhaps it would burn four hundred more. At last, She threw something down into the flame. It fluttered as it fell, and sat a moment in the fire before it burned. A book, a secret shared, and then forsworn. She turned from the crater and lit a cigarette. White teeth clicked shut around it. Well, she heard Joanna say, it's an unfair world. The Wrong Station is made possible by the generous support of our listeners on Patreon. Consider visiting today at patreon.com slash the wrong station. You can also support us by leaving a rating and review on iTunes, or wherever it is that you listen to The Wrong Station. This week's episode, October Devil, was written by Alexander Saxton and performed by Anthony Botello. The Wrong Station is co-produced by Alexander Saxton, Anthony Botello, and Jacob Duarte Spiel. With music composed and performed on the piano by Ilan Citrin, and arranged for the Viola and performed by Viola Schmid. You can subscribe to The Wrong Station on iTunes, Google Play Music, Spotify, and any other of your favorite podcast services. You can follow The Wrong Station on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and email us at therongstation at gmail.com. You can also follow The Wrong Station creative team on Twitter at A.E.W. Saxton, A.J.V. Botello, and JacobBRDS. And until next time...